You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, we are excited to be bringing you another Community Pulse Live, this time about six months into our last one, which was just after the uh, kickoff of this whole pandemic. And so actually, I think it's about eight months since we um, kind of all got into this global situation together. And the last time we gathered to discuss this, we were mere weeks in and we were scrambling to figure out how to adjust. So given how much has changed since then, uh, we thought it would be time to do another live session to try and discuss how our approaches have changed since then. We also know that where, depending on where you're located in the world, your experiences may be a little different depending on your sort of local rates and response to COVID. So that's why we've invited two guests specifically to talk about how they're approaching their 2021 event strategies for developer relations and to give us a sense of, you know, how things are doing locally. Um, so we're going to kick off the conversation briefly with a 10-minute uh, conversation with Ramona Henry and Fleur Dries, and then we're going to open it up to the rest of our audience to participate in the conversation. So first, we will kick off with some intros. Uh, Ramona and Fleur, do you want to introduce yourselves? I guess we can start with Ramona. Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Ramona. Uh, I work as a developer advocate at HubSpot alongside SJ. Uh, I'm based in Dublin, Ireland, and I've been at HubSpot for about three years now. Awesome. Floor? Hi, my name is Floor. I'm based in the Netherlands. Uh, I work at Microsoft as a program manager. Uh, the title used to be longer, but we're in the middle of a reorg, so we don't know what the title will be. Uh, anyway, I work, <laughs> I work with developer communities. I think that's the most important bit. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We're so glad to have both of you here. So I guess we'll kick off uh, with some questions that are relevant to both of you. Um, and we're curious about, have either of you started to see small in-person events start up again throughout Europe? Um, and if so, can you tell us more about what that's like? <laughs> so I can't hide anything from my face, <laughs> do you notice? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, yes, some events have started with some sort of hybrid format where they try and uh, uh, put a couple of people in the room uh, and then live stream where the live stream is basically the main event format or like the, the, the premium experience, but then have some people in the audience. I think that's both because we really all yearn to be with people again, but also it is it is so much easier to do a presentation when there is some people looking back at you and you get some of the feedback. Um, uh, some events do this really well. Some events I'm just like, oh, I'm a little bit terrified of like, I don't know if I'm not sure if you're doing this like right. And I feel a little bit icky about it. Um, so, and I, I also feel a little bit, um, so in my work, I, I usually like, I try to put people on a stage. I don't necessarily need to be on a stage, but like I want to find stories and people to put on a stage. And so I sometimes don't feel very comfortable putting people on a stage when it's a hybrid event, when I'm not entirely sure what I'm putting them up for. Yeah. Makes sense. So it sounds like you've been to some of these in person and when, when, what was the frequent or when have they kicked off? Like when uh, did they start happening? 
they were mostly for so for the Netherlands, we had a little bit of a period where, you know, everything seemed to be wonderful again and seemed to be going the right direction, even though everybody knew that it was not right. But in September, we were allowed a bit more. So we had some of those in like August, September timeframe, where also, uh, for instance, for KubeCon, I, I know there were some uh, viewing parties here and there for, for those kind of things. So it's, it's mainly like conferences that either have like a small uh, on-site audience or it's a viewing party by some user group. Got it. Interesting. Ramona, have you seen anything happening in Dublin? Uh, it's a little bit grimmer in Dublin. Um, we did have a couple of weeks during the summer where there was uh, kind of an uptake in smaller group events. Um, but since kind of September, Dublin's been down on, in a like a level three lockdown, which means like no indoor gatherings, no social events. So everything has gone online. Um, I've seen like some of the bigger tech conferences that would have been here in Dublin all pivot to virtual um, and then kind of more local meetup events um, are all gone virtual as well. So we host the React JS um, meetup event here in Dublin, normally at the HubSpot offices, and we'd generally get about 200 to 300 uh, attendees in, in normal times, but um, we're looking at doing a virtual event. We tried to do one during the summer, but just the uptake wasn't there. People just weren't interested. Um, they probably had a bit of Zoom fatigue, uh, probably enjoying the few weeks of freedom that they did have. Um, but I think as we head into the long autumn and into winter, I expect like Eventbrite and, and things like Meetup just to really take hold in Dublin uh, and for people to get back into connecting uh, in a digital way. Interesting. Yeah. Do any of our hosts have any? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Laura. I think you wanted to say something. <laughs> it's like By a all... lot to say. <laughs> By all means. <laughs> um, what we do do like, uh, um, so I mean, I'm responsible for Western Europe, so it's like massively dif different across the countries, right? Uh, where some of the countries and people in the in the user groups are very excited about online events, and then there's many countries where there is very little happening uh, unless we specifically like we do it ourselves and we like me and my colleagues, um, because otherwise. Uh, well, folks have other stuff on their mind, right, than to, to organize a community event that they're doing in their evening hours anyway. Um, so, but, uh, but we do see some events where there is a small production crew that comes together. Um, so it's maybe five or six people, people taking care of the lights and the lamps and the, the, like all of the, the setup. Uh, and they record a, a, like a really high quality live stream uh, mm -hmm. to go out. So, so like then it's only the production team that is together in one room. Yeah, I've seen a couple events be be doing that kind of like, okay, some some people here, but it's a very small group of people, and there's hardly anyone in the audience. Um, I know Thursday Friday is our user conference at Kamunda, um, and they're kind of doing a smaller hybrid of that, where like our senior leadership team who's presenting has the option to come to the office, and they'll have a couple of video cameras. And the stage is far enough away that the person speaking doesn't have to have a mask on, but everyone else in the room will. And so it's it's been interesting because we've had, I think there's almost a 50-50 split among our senior leadership of like who's choosing to go into the office versus other people who are like, no, I'm good. I don't <laughs> want to travel. Um, so it's been interesting to kind of see that 
difference in, in people's reactions where some people are just like, look, I have an opportunity to speak in front of people again. I have an audience of five in the room, which is enough to get me excited about, you know, I, I get to give a talk in front of people, which is nice. Um, on the flip side of that, I know there was a conference that one of my developer advocates was supposed to speak at that actually canceled because they were planning on doing a small in-person group, but like 50% of their speakers said, no, I'm not comfortable traveling or can't travel depending on where they're coming from. And they opted to just cancel the whole conference rather than move forward with, you know, some people in person, some people live streaming. So I don't know how, if folks have seen that kind of like, oh, well, let's try to do this. And if it doesn't work, we'll cancel at the last, like cancel the whole thing at the last minute. Or if we're, if people think we're going to see more of that. Hmm. I can jump in quickly just from, it's interesting, first of all, to hear that a lot of what we're hearing from our European colleagues is quite similar to what we're hearing in North America so far, at least based on uh, my experience. So I guess I'm not hearing that there's any, um, you know, significant differences. I'm wondering if when we open up the conversation, if some folks might have some some insights on this, if there's other parts of the world where things are opening up a little more. Um, but I, I think I was just going to say that, like, I think, I mean, this is maybe a little optimistic, but I feel like we've gotten to the point, you know, six to eight months in where a lot of these bigger conferences have had to adapt. Um, we now kind of understand that uh, we need to like invest in our virtual infrastructure to make it as, as, as great an experience as possible virtually for the people who are gonna commit their time. Um, but um, in terms of like, having hybrids, I haven't seen any like major last minute cancellations. I've seen a lot of like adaptations on the fly for the virtual events. Like for example, HubSpot hosted our developer day last week. And, you know, one, I was, we were sort of like scrambling to get the recording together. Um, yes, FYI, most of it was recorded, even though we were trying to make you think it was all live. <laughs> Big, big reveal, lots of recording. Um, but um, once we got the final recording together, it ended up being just a little more content than we anticipated. And we had to extend the day by half an hour, kind of at the last minute. So things like that, as we're kind of just adjusting to understanding like how to present this content effectively um, has certainly been things that I've noticed. And, and Mary, most of your team is based in, is it is it Belgium? Berlin. Yeah, so you have the perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like um, I'm hearing more, certainly uh, things happening over in the European areas and in the cities, uh, kind of the bigger cities that have started rolling things up. But Flori, in the intro, you had mentioned that you were seeing some things that made you feel a little icky. Um, can you give any kind of example of like what, what that might be without really calling anyone out? Uh, I've seen speaker dinner photos where people definitely do not take enough of a distance to each other. Um, and uh, like other, for instance, if it's it's an event promotion and they want to, and, and people are standing too close to each other while promoting the event, um, it's just setting the wrong expectation, even though maybe maybe it's folks that, that spend a lot of time together or maybe are, I don't know, related or live in the same household, could all be, right? But it... Uh, it sends maybe a bit of the wrong wrong message, and this is this gets promoted, and uh, I don't see a lot of people commenting on it. Like, oh, that that's kind that's kind of strange, <laughs> uh, which 
which worries me a little bit. Um, but that's maybe also because of uh, a lot of countries in in uh, Western Europe have the approach of like, oh well, like, oh we'll beat this, and you know it will it will go over. We had this one wave. We took a little bit of care, and then you know, and then we were in a better shape. And now we do that almost once more, and then we're then we're good again. Um, and especially the Netherlands, like I think the Netherlands is one of the few countries where uh, face masks are not required anywhere. Uh, which is, is very odd. I, I think that we're all handling it differently in different regions, especially in Europe is, is not a monolith. We no. don't <laughs> treat it just the same. Um, so different places treat themes differently, but companies generally have uh, a preference and strategy when it comes to in-person versus virtual events. So just out of curiosity um, from each respective company, and we can start with you, Ramona, do, do you, does, do you think that um, it's there's a bias towards in-person events? So like if COVID like went away today, would we would you just go back in whole to in-person events and abandon virtual strategy because that was just during a, a very like temporary time period? Or is it gonna be part of your mixture going forward always of virtual and in-person um, no matter if COVID goes away? And uh, while you're while you're answering, uh, I'm gonna have everyone else prepare their questions and put it in the chat, and I will surface those as you two respond. So go ahead, Ramona. Yeah, like I think if I was to crystal ball what HubSpot would do, like if COVID went away tomorrow, I think our events would be would take this new hybrid model. Uh, like we recently, about two weeks ago, did our uh, big customer uh, conference, which is called Inbound, and we completely pivoted to to virtual. Uh, so that like I went to it last year in the Boston Convention Center and there was like thousands of people there. There was very little virtual content. There was virtual content after the after the conference, but there was not a huge amount of virtual content while you were there and it was all ticketed. So you had to be there in person to attend. Um, mm. I think what inbound would look like next year if COVID was to go away, we would still have an in-person event, but we, we would have a, a massive virtual scope on it as well. I think we were like so happy to see attendance numbers rise. We saw people there that from countries that we would never have seen before. Uh, we had a whole level of new interaction uh, in chats and people connecting. And it just, I think it blew our mind how virtual events could have such an amazing effect on your community and your company. So I think if I was to put money down, I think, yeah, our, our events will always have a physical presence, but we'll have a much more bigger virtual presence going forward. That's very cool. I love that. Well, for Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft has said that they don't do any in-person events until, or like the big flagship events until summer uh, 2021. So they'll not be doing that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they will, will will break that word. I mean, for the smaller events uh, that are in the different subsidiaries, yes, maybe uh, they would probably do do hybrid or like smaller events, but uh, but not for not for the big ones for sure not. And we had really good experiences with both Microsoft Build and Microsoft Ignite like last month. Um, and same with attend uh, attendee numbers. I think. Also during the the HashiConf, like HashiCorp's uh, uh, conference, they mentioned for the EU version that they had 8,000 uh, viewers instead of like 800 that could fit the that the venue could fit. So I mean, like I think we all we're all really excited about the amount of people that we can can finally you know address, um, and especially for markets that normally yeah you you wouldn't find 
in Seattle because it's also incredibly expensive uh, to to visit uh, such a flagship event. Yeah, I think we we're starting to learn a lot um, on the Microsoft side of things with all these different, <clears throat> really almost like many experiments. You know, there's so many different types of virtual events that we've been putting on, but every single one of them, starting with Build, have just like superseded any expectations that we had set on attendance and engagement and, you know, the, just the different OKRs that we had in place of driving, you know, eyeballs over to learn or docs or everything we were doing was like way above and beyond what our previous efforts were, were showing. So, but then there's the good argument that, well, once people start returning back to work and they don't have the option to like sit on the couch and consume other things while they're also trying to do their job, that's going to, you know, that's going to shift a little bit, but it's really, I think going to be um, hard to deny some of the, the metrics we get out of these virtual events and how we're starting to be more inclusive to other people. And, and, you know, the list goes on and on of all these like new benefits that we're revealing. And then also for like people like me who I enjoy doing this stuff, um, I'd say to a certain degree, a little bit more than I enjoy going to a meetup mm-hmm. and, you know, doing that whole like social dance. Um, I don't know, but I, I also, I also, what- I also crave that, you know, I want to get back to like shaking hands and, and looking people in the, in the eye and, and doing all those kinds of things. But it's a mixture of, well, if we're driven off of our, if our incentives are off our metrics and the numbers we're doing, like, you know, this is the way I'm going to do it because it wins. Yeah, I think also for Build and Ignite, it was just so exciting that finally we could have some influences from the different uh, regions as well, where usually it's it's very US-centric, right? And now for interstitial content and whatever, uh, and for anchor desks, we could also have some folks from, from the media region or from Africa or, or APEC region. And that was really cool to see as well, uh, because that's totally different stories again. And, and that was just very exciting. I want to like give an opportunity for people to chime in and, and yes, Ra, Ra, yes, Vardan. Sorry if I pronounced it wrong. I, I, <laughs> sorry for murdering that name, uh, but go ahead and present your question. I think you had one that was pretty interesting. Um, I was basically talking about a few experiences that I had with certain events. So basically uh, I work at major league hacking for the Asia Pacific region, basically. So, Currently, due to the pandemic, I was like reviewing documents of all the hackathons we tend to partner with uh, all around the world. So I was in the front line of all the documents and everything reviewing them. So I kind of noticed that there was a different trend in different regions. So if I talk about maybe the European region, they right now at the moment they are more looking to host some kind of hybrid events. Like uh, I'm getting documents for maybe Jan or Feb or something like that. If I talk about American region, they are a bit hesitant but they are thinking about it canadian region it's a similar thing if we talk about maybe india or nepal sri lanka this particular region i'm based out of india actually so currently we are not even thinking about it in certain ways so what different trends have you seen in your uh, companies and whatever events you might be hosting ramona you want to go first um so like is it more like virtual events like what we're, what we're kind of rolling out in the next few weeks is that the question yeah he's unmuted i mean he's muted. <laughs> <laughs> strict mute rules yeah. today 
Okay. Right. So yeah, I was just asking you like, what has been the di uh, different like things you have seen for different regions? Uh, what people are preferring in what you have seen particularly here? Yeah, for sure. Like I think uh, like from what I've seen inside HubSpot. Um, like our Berlin colleagues are back in the office um, and they are kind of going to, to meetups. They haven't had any visitors to the office yet or anything like that or any events on site. Um, our APAC office again is closed. So they're all working from home like us and, and doing virtual events. Um, same with North American office and the Dublin office. We're all kind of virtual based. So I think probably the only one that's probably looking at maybe hybrid events in the future could be could be around the Berlin office. But, um, but yeah, again, I think for us, for the rest of 2020 and probably for most of 2021, it'll just be virtual events. Yeah, I mean, same here across all of the regions, actually. But uh, I mean, we've seen some in Europe uh, opening up their offices, but also we have the reactor spaces uh, and they're all closed. So I don't see I don't see much happening. Wow, that's the I see that that's still a, a current issue right now. Um, another trend is not just where people have events, but the type of events, how they're being held. And I think, Austin, you had a question um, that I'd like to unmute you and go ahead and ask. Yeah. So I've noticed that both in this conversation and just sort of colloquially in other conversations I've had, the reaction to this more hybrid or virtual first model uh, has been very different depending on sort of what type of event it is. Hmm. I think things like, you know, you're talking about Build and Ignite and uh, and for HashiCorp, you know, HashiConf and user conferences, right? Where this is something that's, you know, let's let's say corporate, right? This is, there's a very specific goal oh, yeah. for this and it's, you have a user community trying to engage versus a DevOps days, right? A more community focused event. And with those, my perspective is that, that they're handling it a little worse or it doesn't feel like it's hitting as, as well. And I wonder if, is that just something that I'm seeing or if there's, uh, if you all have seen stuff to that end and is this going to call, you know, is there some sort of like long-term takeaway where, you know, maybe virtual or hybrid is just super not sustainable for community events because they rely so much on that in-person effect. Uh, whereas, you know, for a corporate event, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Laura. So I say this also because I'm, I'm the organizer of DevOps Days Amsterdam. And so we had the DevOps Days Amsterdam and Eindhoven online uh, last what was it? I don't remember anything anymore. Like all the months sort of like merged together in my head. Uh, but uh, both for Serverless Days Amsterdam and for DevOps Days Days Online. Uh, and yeah, there there is quite a difference, right, between those 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 type of events where uh, with flagship like corporate events, uh, there's a lot of pressure to get it really right. And then with the community event, stuff changes on the day and you're with a larger team and the larger team doesn't communicate maybe quite as well because you're all sort of like after making your own little part of the thing perfect. And so sometimes uh, you find yourself hosting, you know, DevOps days online and there's things being thrown at you and you're just like, wait, what? When was it? When was this discussed? Did I miss this meeting? Like, I don't, I, what is this? Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you do whatever I think you, you can to sort of keep that 
that community alive and hopefully like have that have that same or have the sort of that base for when you can go hybrid or when you can go in person again that you know the folks that are still there and you've been checking in this time uh to not have that that massive void and i think even even more so for serverless days uh it used to be only a conference but we have a we have a monthly meetup now just to make sure to keep that community together and talking and do a little network session after the meetup where you normally have just two, two talks and then some q and i but now we we also turn on everybody's uh camera if they want to uh and audio and we do some networking afterwards even if it's just with a small group but it's just really nice <laughs> to chat with each other i think one thing i've noticed just sort of um i guess kind of like tangentially related and kind of the flip side angle of that um is that one thing we're trying to all figure out for the corporate events is um, sort of metrics question. And if we're talking about like, oh, HashiConf had like 8,000 versus the 800 that might be there in person. But what does that 8,000 really mean? Were they tuning in for five minutes of a virtual conference? Were they there for the entire duration? Um, one thing I have noticed on the sort of good news flip side is that perhaps um, we aren't able to as measure as many like you know, I hate this expression, but butts in seats um, that are actually there all day. Um, but we can sort of gauge the feedback from usually our most engaged developers that we knew were going to, you know, have a positive experience coming into this. I think there's less of a kind of like event draw for folks who are kind of on the periphery of your product for virtual events, but you will still get that, that, that high level of engagement from your kind of most engaged group. And so that can feel like to someone who's not as not as you know interested in a specific tool or platforms conference, like eh, this is like pretty corporate. But to the folks that are like attending and really care about the, your product and use it every day, um, these are still impactful events. I just think that the the potential sort of blast radius of a virtual conference, while it seems bigger if you're looking at the kind of metrics and numbers, it actually might not be. It's kind of what I've seen. Yeah, and I'll I'll jump in here because there's an interesting situation that we're dealing with with an event that we're actually sponsoring coming up, um, where the website online I think still says that it's like a four day conference here in San Francisco. They mention that it's virtual, but our event sponsorship team just got back to us the other day and was like, okay, cool. This is now November fourth through twentieth, and it's nine a.m. to two p.m. Pacific time every day. And we need this kind of commitment from your team and it's on a chat bot and people will be present during these hours and all of us that were paying to find people to like work the booth and attend the conference we're all like that's that's a lot of time over three weeks so like there's there's a certain amount of privilege i think that's interesting that's starting to come up now as well that like great more people can attend but also is it actually taking more of our time and more of our energy in different ways? Whereas like number of hours on the quote unquote floor is probably the same, right? It's like 55 mm -hmm. hours over those span of days, which if we're there in person is about the same amount, it's not a big deal. But looking, my, me as a manager looking at like, okay, three weeks of my team's time is going to be taken up with them essentially being on call as dev advocates to answer questions that pop up at any time. There's an interesting interesting flux there um, that I think we haven't really quite seen the effects of yet. 
Um, which led us to an interesting question as we were planning for this, just trying to think through like, is, you know, is attending an in-person conference in the future more of a position of privilege, but then also what about attending or speaking at an all day online conference or a three week long conference? Is there still a certain amount of privilege that comes with that with internet bandwidth and distraction free environments and now that kids are back in school, dealing with kids in school, as well as speaking at conferences, like there's just, there's so many things to take into account there. And I'd love to hear just a little bit around that privilege side of things, kind of what you're hearing as well as how you feel about it. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna start. Gonna Go start. for it, Flora. And if anyone else wants to comment, you can comment in chat or raise your hand and we'll, we'll pull you into the conversation too. I mean, what we at least do, and this, and this is speaking for the, especially for the community conferences, um, is we give the, for, for the communities that I'm, I'm involved with, is that we give people the opportunity to pre-record if, if they feel like they don't have the bandwidth, like literally, but also because the kid is running around in the background, uh, uh, to do something uh, live, and then maybe the opportunity to do the Q&A live, uh, if they want with video or not, um, and, and to give people the opportunity to, to still participate in these events. Also, sometimes we say like, we can get you a studio and you can record it there. If you don't have, don't think that you have the equipment at home to, to feel like comfortable to do the pre-recording of the talk or do the talk live. Um, and I certainly appreciate when a community reaches out to me when, when they want me as a speaker, because I do have a kid in school. And so like, I have times that I cannot have the, 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 the talk. And during uh, the lockdown where the kiddo was at home, uh, you know, like everybody finds it incredibly adorable when the kid is in the background jumping. Uh, but, you know, it's not so adorable for the person trying to actually like get their story across. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, totally like trying to figure out people's bandwidth but but you can but if you can accommodate for it then then accommodate for it yeah i would second that uh, we had a developer day last week um and all the speaking parts were all pre-recorded and it was like done with such empathy like sj ran it um she gave like tips for how to pre-record like what tech to use uh like where to go to get help, um, you know, lots of advance notice to get the recording done. Um, and it was just, I think people just have a lot more empathy with, with how we're doing virtual events. Um, I was a big fan of the pre-recording because it just helped me organize my week, get it done. I could do a couple of takes of it. I could hand it over, get it reviewed. And I just took the stress out of it. Um, we did the, the Ask Me Anything or the Q&A at the end live. And that was like 30 minutes of my time. And it was great, you know, I could prepare for it. I could make sure there was no distractions in the background. Um, and it was just a real nice, easy way to do an event. Yeah, I mean, for, for DevOps days also, we figure we, we uh, got an extra sponsor on board to ship all the speakers a microphone and a ring light if they didn't have any, uh, which was really amazing that we could do that for, for, for speakers. Yeah, actually, I, I had a question kind of specifically about DevOps days for you, Flora, and also we've got Mike Rosado in the in the audience here, too, who's also uh, part of DevOps days. So hopefully between the two of you, you can help me because I've only been involved with DevOps days as a moderator this year. Um, I got to be uh, a part of the team with Chicago and they put on a great show, you know, production wise. It was awesome. One day thing. 
Um, but when we're talking about metrics and how, you know, on the corporate side, we've got some things that we're looking at, but maybe not as much on the community side, the community side stuff, at least for DevOps days, still has sponsors who are helping in different ways. What's the conversation look like in terms of promising, you know, promising them a certain number of, you know, attendees or their involvement? Like, do you get a chance to chat with these people like you would if they were coming through your booth? Like, I'm curious how those conversations go or have gone um because i do think that that's something that from their their angle like the the conference circuit is gone now and that was a big part of like you know a lot of things and so anyway i'll let you maybe jump in with what you know floor and, and then maybe we can hear from mike as well yeah that's a great question i mean something that we were yeah, we also had to find out, right? I had done a couple of uh, online events before that. So I we had a little bit of an idea of what we could offer the sponsors. Um, and I don't know, like uh, I, so I worked, I previously worked sort of in the field developer marketing stuff for Microsoft. So I know that whenever I'm I was confronted with uh, a sponsorship um, proposal, I want to have as few benefits on there as possible because I need to, and this is called, proof of execution uh, in Microsoft terms uh, for all of these things. So if I got a banner and a thing and a thing and a thing, I needed to take pictures of all of these things and I could not actually focus on the conference. So I always rather have fewer things. Um, so I designed the perspectives for, for DevOps days the same way where there is like fewer, but hopefully more impactful things uh, where the highest sponsorship tier would also get a, get a, get a room uh, where they could just stream whatever they wanted to during the conference uh, or run their own sweepstakes or do whatever they wanted to do during the, the conference. We had uh, two speakers from from uh, from Microsoft. So for instance, I talked to the Microsoft team and be like, hey, maybe you want to invite them to do like a longer AMA after their, their session, or maybe you want them to run a workshop or whatever. Um, and so some of the companies really took that and, and created their own little mini challenges in the, those rooms. And some of them were like, nah, I don't really know what to do with that benefit. I'd rather have blah. Um, and so like benefits that we used were, I think sponsorship. Uh, so uh, like MC shout out of the companies, they would have their, their thing on the slide. Uh, if they had, uh, the ones that made sure we had all of the uh, equipment uh, got a little watermark in the in the in the stream. I wouldn't recommend that, by the way, because that's that's no that was a that was a mistake. But I mean, it was something that we tried tried out. Um, other things were like tweets from the account before, during, and after, like just the your your regular sort of sponsorship benefits, but then try and gear it a little bit towards the 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 main experience. Uh, we also said on a briefing call with them to make sure that, hey, you can totally engage in the chat. And if you want to take make the most out of it, maybe you want to like include in your name from which company you are and like you can totally promote whenever you're doing an AMA or something like that. Yes. Yes, that's good. Well, uh, for those that don't know you, my name is Mike Rosado I'm, and I'm thankful for uh, allowing me to join the event tonight. Um, but basically, I'm one of the co-organizers, and I attend several uh, of the, I've been attending several of the virtual conferences from around the world. Several, um, you know, like in Latin America, it's big for some reason uh, to have a lot of attendees. 
They had in the last two that I was for Colombia, one in Medellin and one in Bogota, they had over five to 600 people attending the, the conference and participating. So again, you know, it's hard to say if they're just in there for five minutes and, and just leave the stream running or not, but, you know, they've been uh, very, you know, depending on the platform, they've been very engaged on uh, the conference that they've, you know, like participating and, and engaged with other people. With regards to the, like for Dallas, we had to postpone it. Uh, because I don't, I don't think that in Dallas there were that many people that were really interested in virtual conferences. Um, for some reason, I also run the the meetup in Dallas for DevOps Live, and we don't get that many people participating. I think I don't know if it's based on Zoom fatigue or whatever, but we're not seeing that many people, so we kind of decided to go ahead and postpone it to next year. Some of the sponsors stayed on, uh, but there are other sponsors that um, decided they didn't want to stay on. And uh, so um, we ended up refunding that money back. But I guess the, with regards to the sponsorship, I would say, you know, reach out to the sponsors, kind of ask them, you know, what are they expecting out of, if it's a virtual event, what, do you, what are you expecting out of the virtual event? Try to find out more because that way you can meet their expectations a lot better. That's so true, Mike. Yeah. Really good point there. Um, Mike's an amazing guy, by the way. Uh, just putting <laughs> it out there. Um, one, thing, one thing about like the needs of the sponsors and the needs of the organizers and the people attending is that it needs to be like, a safe place for everybody. So that people can express their ideas, they can get their information out with that and feel like um, they can bring their whole self to a conference and that's up and down the chain of responsibility. Um, part of making a safe space is having a good code of conduct. Um, but with moving to virtual, um, we are able, we, we heard about the Zoom bombing and um, we've, we've, we've fixed that problem, but there's other like problems with anonymity in a minute, you know, when people can be anonymous <laughs> on the internet. Uh, like, so it's kind of harder to enforce, harder to define uh, what is good, bad behavior. Um, and I'm going to toss it to you, Floor. Like, what do you do right now to make sure that the code of conduct is not only um, catches these, uh, these edge cases that are now new, but um, how do you enforce it? I love that you give that question to me. It is mostly my question. I, I, I want to hear from different folks that they 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 uh, they solve for it uh, because yeah, I mean we've um, um, I, I always did this for for like my events, but now for for all of the other events, it's even more pressing that they have a code of conduct. It's not necessarily normal. Like a lot of conferences out there don't have a code of conduct. Uh, and uh, then that if they have one, that they have a code of conduct team uh, and uh, that the team is diverse and there's different ways of reaching them um, and to sort of brief the, the team as well and figure out like ways uh, or, or give them somehow examples of what is acceptable behavior, what is a joke and what isn't. Um, and that I think that that's kind of hard. I mean, I've seen um, I found moderation for the, because I was moderating in the chat for three days for Ignite. Um, I found that like it, it was 
massively different across the moderators what was acceptable behavior and what wasn't. I mean, there is people that uh, in the moderator team that would delete uh, comments about Clippy or the Windows phone or whatever. And, and I'm just like, people love to make jokes about that. Let them do their thing. I think it's way more harmful if we delete those comments uh, because then we sort of sort of try to censor them if they just want to make like a Clippy joke and let, let them make the Clippy joke. Um, I mean, there's so many comments coming in. They're like, they'll like nobody will see them. Um, let's so let's let's rather like let them have their thing and then and then be done with it. Uh, but I've also seen events where the the rage, ratio of messages isn't that high. But then there's some some really hurtful comments, um, and uh, you need to be really quick about trying to remove those before they you know like are seen by too many people, which is you know signaling exactly the wrong thing um and we've been we've been doing like teams of code of conduct enforcers where we also work in shifts because it's very emotional labor uh, if you need to like if you're basically your only focus is i need to find like the hurtful things and i need to remove them as soon as possible that is really it's really straining um and with the online events and we're going for the platforms that people know already because you want them to feel comfortable so if you go and use for instance youtube life or whatever then there is a lot coming in yeah um it's coming from all angles and different channels i want to hear how ramona handles this but before um i get to you ramona can you um i, I want to hear how what the yashes take on this uh, i think you had some thoughts uh yeah definitely so uh we have a total instance procedure uh, set up for the events what we host basically. So uh, it was more, uh, much before for the in-person events as well, but this has been a different case uh, in terms of I talk about additional events. So we have seen a total boom of incidents, to be honest, uh, when it comes to additional events. And it's not just about the normal harassment cases, things like that. It's about the cheating incidents at hackathons as well. For example, uh, at hackathons, a lot of people just try to copy the code and just paste it over just to win the hackathon in certain cases. They try to participate in multiple events, 100 or so in just one weekend so that they can increase their chances to get prizes. But that all uh, tends to be like for cheating incidents specifically depends on the event if they allow multiple submissions or not, something like that. But uh, talking about that, we had to totally revamp the whole procedure in certain ways to include our own event stuff a lot into it, which was not exactly involved initially. Uh, because uh, we tended, uh, we had a small incidents team who had the basic thoughts and everybody had to call them over to make sure everything is good to go and people are being heard of in the first place and not being flagged as of in that way. But for such an increase of cases, we had to set up a different procedure. Uh, and talking about incidents, uh, like code of conduct violations, although we have seen a lot upfront, uh, we have also seen certain misunderstandings in that way due to a lot of cultural influences. For example, uh, a lot of people might interpret something uh, in a different language uh, in a different way. For uh, And also, the, uh, for example, I'll uh, just tell you one uh, incident out there. So one very beginner hacker had uh, tried to talk to some person to get their uh, advices about something. They asked uh, for their Instagram or uh, things like that uh, to just to get more familiar with them. But that was not acceptable by that person, particularly that someone else is trying to slide into their personal accounts. 
and also the way they said it was not exactly very accurate so they reported this as an incident we followed up we followed up with everyone and there was that that was necessary for us to uh, give a statement to that person particularly that your uh, behavior is not acceptable though in a humble way we had to say it but when we realized uh, how we are saying we realized it like it was typically a different cultural view over there and people tend to connect more personally in certain cases and uh, it did uh, take a toll on that person particularly but uh, that had to be maintained for uh, the harmony of the event to be honest so there are certain cases due to the cultural influences there are certain cases like zoom bombing and things like that which are totally not acceptable and overall that has been my view in total for the incidents till now I feel like the only I mentioned I've been involved as a moderation as a moderator in a couple of events, um, including Build and some of the Microsoft stuff. And I feel like we I was surprised at, at really how well behaved people were. Like I, I was kind of on guard. We're talking about like the emotional labor involved with moderation. Like you're just like constantly on Sentinel mode, trying to, to like get rid of things that are, you know, just shouldn't be there. And the only time I've run into problems really so far is when they're allowed to be anonymous still. But I feel like anytime that you, know, you register for an event, we know who you are, you know, your comments are pretty much clear that it's coming from you. People for the most part take, you know, I think take notice of that and, and do not just well-behaved, but I would say also they've made my job easier because they jump in with ideas and suggestions and answers to questions before I, you know, before I, you know, even have a chance to like look up what, what term they're asking me about or something. So uh, I've been really, really actually happy with a lot of the, I've probably been lucky, I'm sure, but I've been happy with how we've managed our code of conduct sort of thinking through a lot of these. Like we've, we recognize that the internet is dangerous and it can be a lot of problems and we've already learned so much, you know, even this show learned in a very hard way some lessons early on in, in all this. So I think we're, we're starting to catch on and, and put technology in place to save us a little bit, but also um, I think people are, at least in the events I've been going to, whenever they're not allowed to remain anonymous, it's, it's been pretty promising. I feel like. Yeah. It seems like it's about kind of deciding what you have the bandwidth to craft. Like, do you want to make the space for anonymous folks? Do you need to ensure that, you know, you're moderating every comment as it comes in or not? I think there's at least a lot more options on how um, you can kind of like weave in those different processes and options with a virtual event than there is an in-person event when you're, no matter what, you're gathering humans together and things might happen. Um, Ramona, did you have any additional thoughts on how HubSpot is kind of handling this for our events? Yeah, I was pretty impressed. Uh, so last week we used a tool called Slido, um, which was great. Like it allows people to, to ask questions, but they actually go in the back end first where there's like a panel of moderators and they can choose to like green light a question and it'll come out on the front end where people can upvote it. But any kind of nasty questions are irrelevant and questions can, ju can just be taken out of it. Uh, so nobody sees that. And I thought it was just a real nice tool for handling moderation and questions. Um, we did have a, a code of conduct in our Slack community, um, which I think we're leaning on a lot more now for our virtual events. So that's been great already kind of having that in place. Um, and I think for all our physical events as well, we also had a code of conduct. But um, 
But I think as virtual events ramp up, we'll see a lot more uh, tech stacks there to help us uh, in terms of moderation. And, and I think as people attend virtual events and get used to hearing codes of conduct, you know, it's most people will, will adhere to that. There'll always be a few bad apples, I think, but hopefully technology can, can help us uh, make that disappear. Yeah, on the subject of the technologies and what we need to sort of use to, to build these um, quality virtual experiences, um, how are y'all kind of approaching your budgeting for 2021? And this will be kind of our last general topic as we kind of uh, round up the, the hour here. Um, how are y'all sort of approaching your, your budgeting, not knowing whether or not we're going to be back together in person in 2021? Are you making any assumptions? Are you um, kind of using any potential budget for tools and technology? I'd love to just open that up to folks and see what their thoughts are. I can start because I just finished a conversation about this today at work. <laughs> um, so what I did honestly was um, basically took what I thought our dev advocates and our community managers would be attending in a normal year and then went, cool, I don't think any of that's going to happen in the first six months. Here's what I'm budgeting for 2021, which is just the second half of the year. Um, it's a little interesting for my team because we're not only responsible for, um, well, budget is split and we can get into a whole other episode about budget, which we might do soon. Um, but we're responsible for travel to events in addition to helping the marketing team figure out what events we're sponsoring. And so for me, it's more figuring out how how much, how often, um, and where is my team going to be traveling? And I'm anticipating at least in these next six months or next nine months, we probably won't be traveling beyond our, our local areas. And so that's kind of how we're planning. Do we feel like there's any kind of reallocation of what would have been travel budget to other parts of budget? Is that something that's open or are companies generally kind of feeling like, well, let's uh, let's take advantage of back. it. Yeah, let's pull back what we can. Or I don't know. Just wondering if anyone has any sense of that. All right. I can only say for, for, I mean, for you see a lot of sad faces. I feel like. <laughs> I mean, I, I I know at least on our team, like we knew that the budget had been, you know, taken away for travel a long time ago. Um, like Floor said, you know, we're we're not doing anything until middle of next year at best. And you know, definitely, I know a lot of us, myself included, who do so much international travel. Like I'm missing being places, but I'm not missing the travel part of it. And I I just don't know where. Mm -hmm. What it's going to take and when i'm going to be ready to go back to that lifestyle um and so yeah i mean it, it's just all different and and the fact that we aren't encouraged necessarily to go anywhere and they're not going to pay for it and all these other things it's just like all right so the job's just like completely different now but we get to redesign it and we get to you know come up with some experiments and so there's I don't think there's any official shifting of money around. It's not like everybody's buying us like these huge production sets to have in their house and stream, you know, uh, amazing content every day. But that said, I think the conversations are at least uh, to a point where that, you know, it's like, it's open to discussion. Like everybody's just, just kind of searching for what's the right thing to do moving forward. And, and I love, at least within our teams, um, the openness to ideas and hearing out some, you know, creative, experimental i keep saying that but that's all it is it feels like is like let's just try this but track it and see what happens and then go from there but uh, as far as budgeting goes like we're not 
we're not traveling on a plane for a while and we're not hosting any big events. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know some of my budget for 2021, at least I'm reallocating for my team to like what developer facing newsletters can we sponsor? What open source projects can we sponsor? Like, how do we, how do we expand beyond, Hey, we're going to be speaking at this virtual event coming up. Like what are some other things that we can be involved in that don't include uh, someone walking up, quote unquote, walking up to your booth with their avatar and sitting down to eat lunch at your booth in Second Life or Second Life Conference Edition? It was odd. Anyway, um, so we're exploring just, you know, how do we how do we continue to reach people outside of what we viewed as our quote unquote traditional sponsorships and finding some success with that? So, yeah, yeah, I think we want to all try to avoid like traveling back in time to 2004 as much as we can, right? I think there's been a little bit of that here and there. Um, another thing to sort of just recap and try to like pull together all the threads of how we're um, all collectively potentially reviewing our, our approaches for next year is that as opposed to you necessarily like, oh, let's take what was going to be travel budget or conference budget and put it into virtual event budgets. Um, I'm starting to think, and our, our team is starting to think about like, what are even other ways that we can diffuse our not only budget and, and uh, you know, money, but also time and, and bandwidth, which is also at a ma massive premium right now um, to things like, you know, easier to access content, maybe, you know, things that are more realistic for people to be able to consume on their own times, things that aren't time blocked. Um, so I think that there's just, if anything, this is forcing us to be a lot more creative. Um, and I think we're going to come out of it a stronger, uh, industry and have a lot more to share and actually be more adaptable over time, as opposed to kind of like this, on lingering stereotype that all we do is travel. Now everyone knows we're not doing that so we can show them what we really are doing. Um, so with that, I, I think I would like to just, um, I know we're at, we're almost at time. Um, so I really wanna thank everyone for, for spending some time with us today. Uh, thank you so much to Ramona and Floor for being our special guests uh, live from Europe. And thank you so much to all of our other guests for representing various other time zones and, and giving your, your awesome insights. And um, once again, I, as the, um, t the host of, of today's episode, I get the privilege of being able to wrap up with a PJ style quote pulled from hip hop, which we do in every episode. And um, PJ has provided me with a, a humdinger um, today, which I'm sure Tupac would appreciate me qualifying it as a humdinger from the grave, <laughs> rest in peace, Tupac. Um, he says, remember one thing, through every dark night, there's a bright day after that. So no matter how hard it gets, stick your chest out, keep your head up and handle it. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.